0: Yeah, Mexico was, was, was fun, uh, and it was really good. We're going to talk more next week, but I think, I think, among other things, it is always a good thing for young people, but not just young people, to go someplace where they are the minority, where, they don't, where people aren't speaking their language, where they don't look like everybody else in general, where they only get to shower every other day, and where toilet paper cannot be flushed down the toilet, and if you do happen to drop some toilet paper in the toilet, you got to fish it out. You got to. You have to. Where um, where you eat the same. Ethnic food every day. And don't complain because it was awesome. (laughs) What? Where um, you sleep with the windows open and roosters... See, I'm not... I thought they only... Crowed? Is that what they do? They crow, crackled. I thought they only did that when the sun came up. Oh no, I don't know about other places, but in La Mission, the roosters have no concept of time. I'm like, yo, man, it's two in the morning, bro. Come on, you know? No, 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 no. Everybody get up, cause we're up. I'm up. That's yeah, what they say. I, I don't know, but you know what? Though it was. Uh, we, we, you'll hear more. You'll hear more. Um, I've been on a lot of short-term missions trips. I, I have, and, and it was. Um, I learned a lot, and um, um, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. There's another one coming later in the year, in November. I want you to start praying about participating, and I want you to start thinking about participating in missions across the street at work in school wherever god has called you there are people who do not know jesus and you don't have to go on a mission to do missions uh so be open be open to that yay um yeah just just uh, great times um my message this morning is out of judges chapter 17 it's called the false religion delusion the false religion delusion i've shared this story with you before i'll share it again years ago when i was in youth ministry we 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 like to take the kids to to evangelize and go tell people the good news and we had a bunch of creative gospel tracks and we'd say you know We try to coach them and how to do it, but, um, and we did it in different kinds of ways, in different kinds of places, because, because if you can, if you can articulate, like, like the best way to, to learn how to tell people about Jesus is first to pray, first to pray, and then, and then to, to go. Uh, like if you want to learn Spanish, uh, go live in a culture that is predominantly Spanish-speaking, and you will learn Spanish really fast. <laughs> you can get it out of the textbook or the Duolingo app. I think that's... Is that the language one? I forget. Yes, two thumbs up from the back. But, but if you immerse yourself in that culture, you'll learn quickly. And so we used to take kids to all kinds of crazy places. And if you want teenagers to be bold, there's no place, perhaps, other than their school... Uh, like the mall uh, because who knows when one of their friends might see them and so we'd go to the mall and and we'd tell you know we'd kind of coach the kids on how to approach people and you know don't be trying to get phone numbers and yeah maybe we could pray together later don't know, stop all that nonsense boys that's that's not evangelism okay dude man I got three numbers I can't wait to stop it give me those numbers right now or you're walking home Uh, yeah, right. I know who does that (laughs) Anyway, I noticed bro, You only tell the girls about jesus. You got any fellows in your life, man What's happening with this you got any dudes friends anything? So uh, we're in this one particular store the young man He's maybe 25 26 And I engage him and we start to talk and I bring up christ and he's open because I don't want to be obnoxious Okay, I don't want to be that guy, and I don't want to I don't want to disrespect someone at work like, you know, your work doesn't matter, I need to talk to you about Jesus, because you're not there to hear about the Jesus, you're there to work. But if I throw it out there and you respond, we're going to go with it, right? And so we're getting in this conversation about Jesus and about truth and 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 and, and so I said, "So so what does truth mean to you? Like, what do you how do you you don't really believe in God. How do you establish what truth is?" And he says, "Basically, what truth is whatever you make it, and whatever is truth for you is truth for you. And I go, okay. So I bring up some scenarios that, that, that you know aren't very good, and I say, so do you think that's okay? He goes, yep, I guess that'd be okay. I went, huh, okay. So if somebody just didn't like you, and their truth was violence, and that's how they settled everything, and especially if they were mad at you, and someone just cold-cocked you and just boom, and you're okay with that because that's their truth. He goes, I guess I would be. And I went, huh, okay, let's take it up a notch. I said, Nazi Germany is what they did right, or is it wrong? Harold Best, in his book, Unceasing Worship, Biblical Perspectives on Worship and the Arts, says that our God's nature is unceasing outpouring. And God exists within the Within the entity of himself, I don't know how quite to say it accurately, but God, God exists within the entity of himself, and in that there is love, there's communication, there's adoration, there's affection uh, within the Godhead. One of the reasons that Christians must be united, it is not optional. Um, and 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 i 'm not talking about about unity at all costs i 'm saying believers in Jesus must be united because our God exists in a three part nature but as one. God is the ultimate expression of unity and oneness, therefore Jesus prayed that the church would be one. We don't have the option to not like another church because of their location or because of their ethnocentric idiosyncrasies that we disagree with. Doctrine's another issue. I'm not talking about that. Uh, there are some churches that we cannot be in unity with because of their doctrinal beliefs, but 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 we're we're called to be one. We're called to be united um, because our God is. Uh, And being made in the image of God means that we are unceasingly outpouring. We're living to the glory of something, someone, maybe it's even ourselves. We're imaging and reflecting the glory of a person or a thing or a cause or whatever it might be. Um, To be created in the image of God, among other things, means to be designed to worship. We are pre-wired to be worshipers of something. All of us will worship something. And if, you were, if I was honest with you when I was 25 years old, if you would have asked me, what do you worship? I would have said, are you kidding me? I don't worship anything. Oh, but that's not true. <laughs> I did have things that I worshipped. I was prideful and egotistical. And, and, and I worshipped stuff, all kinds of stuff. I, I did. Um, so we're designed that way. It's beyond being in our DNA. It's at the core of who we are. Um, it's one of the things that means to be created in his image. Now, if you don't worship... The God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the stars into existence. If you don't worship him, who do you worship? What do you worship? Where do you worship? How do you worship? And is it possible to worship nothing? Um, So your view of God determines your view of the world. I, I say this all the time. We've got to look at things, culture, uh, 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 morality, everything in our life, we, we must look through the lens of Scripture. We, that has to be uh, our lens. Because your view of God determines your view of the world. It really determines your view on everything. Uh, cosmology, how did everything get here? What happens Uh, when you die, uh, 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 what's right, what's wrong, a sexuality. You call it whatever you want to fill in the blank. Your view of God determines all of that. And so there's a basis for truth that has to be established. For those who don't believe in God, for example, by denying His existence, Secular humanists deny the existence of an absolute moral code that must be obeyed. Because if you don't worship God, how do you determine what's right or wrong? Is it based on a prophet? Is it based on a book? Is it based on a culture, uh, uh, um, a philosophical belief, a worldview? Is it based on a religious system? By the way, I want to give a shout out to everybody online, what's happening, nice of you to join us, I just want to do that midstream, sometimes I have to say things right when I think of them or I'll forget. How many of you all folks know what I'm talking about? I see God's moving, I see your hand in the back right there, over there, I see your hand brother, anyone else? Yes, yeah, he's pointing to him, yes, I see your hand, yes, God's on the move, hallelujah. All right. In an article, this is a 2013 article, so don't try to figure out why it's so old, but it is. In an article entitled, Dear Rihanna, Your Truth Won't Set You Free in Christianity Today, Sharon Hod Miller writes this, again, 2013. My truth, this term, is really making the rounds these days. In addition to being the title of a three-part reality special about Nicki Minaj, it has become a common feature of celebrity philosophizing. In her uh, 2005 reality show, Britney and Kevin, Chaotic, Britney Spears declared, People can take everything away from you, but they can't take away your truth. Can you handle my truth? Last year, amidst the swirl of Charlie Sheen's departure from Two and a Half Men, Sheen told one interviewer, All I can do is speak my truth. And more recently, actress Dakota Fanning described her latest character's coming-of-age journey as finding her truth. The unique path of the individual who follows her truth is not unique at all. The writer says, Like the many fools who went before her, her path is a highway to folly. They underestimate the depravity of the human soul. We're going to look at in our study through the end of Judges, the depravity of man, the lostness, the evil pent up in our hearts, all of us. If you want to cut to the core of a belief system, it's really quite easy. You ask, why do you believe that? Another question you might consider asking is, what's your source of truth? What's it based on? And is it reliable? Josh McDowell once wrote a book on absolute truth, and he said absolute truth must be for all people, all places at all times. And that means it must be subjective. It can't be a matter of my opinion because if absolute truth or morality is subjective, then those with the power and the guns will tell you what truth is. Uh, It must be universal if it works here in Las Vegas. It must also work in La Mission and it must work in Kathmandu it must be constant and that it does not change one of the one of the challenges that islam has in their belief system is that they have this thing called abrogation and abrogation means that this is what we believed Ten, 20, 100, a 1, thousand years ago, but because of abrogation, we now believe this. And you would say, "Wait a second, this contradicts this." And then would go, "Yes, but we have updated it, sort of a new version. It's called abrogation. And then how can truth be established if it's constantly changing? We are, I don't know if you're aware of it, in a cultural war today, and it is a battle over ideas. Because ideas have consequences. Um, Fifty-six years ago, as a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, David Neubel, and you can check out his website, Understanding the Times, he attended a chapel service addressing the topic of communism. The speaker was an Australian medical doctor named Fred Schwartz, who said that communism was fast-growing and pervasive because it was a religion at its nature, it was religious. Because here's what religions do. He goes on, it answers life life's ultimate questions, uh, inspired ardor and devotion, and gave meaning to people's lives. It had a means of winning and discipling converts, as well as a vision for spreading to the whole world. And so, What we see in our culture is a battle for ideas, and many of them at their core are religious, in fervor, because they attempt outside of the Word of God to answer life's basic questions. In the last couple of chapters of Judges, there's a, repre- a, a repeated phrase that we will see. Chapter 17, verse 6 says, and by the way, my notes are available on the Version app if you pull up and go to events. Chapter 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone would d- did what was right in his own eyes. People talk about living in a country or living in some utopian place where everybody can do whatever they want to do. Did we mention that our hearts are depraved and wicked and set against God? And the only solution for us is that our hearts be reset by Jesus Christ. That's called being born again. Everybody talks about living in a place like that, but nobody really wants to live there. It's interesting how someone talks about freedom and no rules and this, that, and the other, but they lock their door at night. New York Times reporter Anthony No, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, it's NGO. <laughs> so I think he's Vietnamese. It's No? Thank you very much, sir. Um, In his article, My Terrifying Five Days in Seattle's Cop-Free Zone, wrote this last year. On June 8, Seattle police frantically loaded what they could from the East Precinct into trucks and cars within hours they boarded up and abandoned the station. That night, left-wing protesters from Black Lives Matter and Antifa declared ownership of the six-block neighborhood in the middle of the Pacific Northwest's largest city. They named their territory the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or CHAZ. No laws or rules applied here, except for one, no cops allowed. He says, during five undercover days, because he literally had to cover himself for being found out, and he would not sleep in the zone, he would leave and then come back. He said, uh, no, uh, uh, during five undercover days and nights in the zone, I witnessed a continuing experiment in anarchy, chaos, and brute force criminality. Chapter 17 of Judges. Incidentally, there are many scholars who believe this is not chronological, but this is just sort of an appendix and a wrapping up so that people would have a good idea of just how bad things were. It says in chapter 17, verse 1, Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah, not the Micah, uh, the, 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 the prophet prophets that is in further in, in, in the Bible. Uh, Ephraim was a central part of the land. It's where Shiloh was. Uh, it's where the tabernacle was. This was the place of worship because, again, God wanted to be in the midst of his people, pretty much in the middle of the land that he had given them. Verse 2 says, And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse even saying it in my ears. Here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Now, I don't know about you. But if one of my children took 1,100 pieces of silver and then returned it because... Somehow they felt convicted or whatever, which that would be a cool thing, I guess. My first response would not be, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. It just wouldn't be my first response. I will leave to your imagination what I might say. 1,100 shekels of silver is about 28 pounds. It's a fortune in ancient Israel. Verse 3 says, so when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver, re- remember that, that, that their entire system is out of order because there's no king in Israel and everyone's doing what's right. It says, when, when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image now therefore I will return it to you thus he returned the silver to his mother then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave it them to the silversmith and he made it into a carved image and a molded image and they were in the house of Micah the pronouns are all over the place here it's it's hard to make sense of this but apparently she had dedicated this money to the Lord to make an idol that the son could put in his house. This is weird. It, it, idolatry is real. Exodus chapter 20 verse four, God knows that we have a built-in worshiped proponent, that we will worship something. He says, You will have no other gods before me because everything in you will want to make a god. And then he says you will not bow down to any idols. You will not create any idols because there is another thing within you. Because you have the propensity within you and the design within you to worship. Don't create idols and bow down to them because you will do that. And by the way, the land that I'm sending you into is Filled with idolatry. So don't take up their customs. Don't worship their gods whom I have defeated. Don't do that. Exodus 20 verse 4. The second commandment. You shall make no graven carved images of any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth. And the context is for the purpose of worship. You remember the children of Israel not too long after they left Egypt Moses is up in uh, on Mount Sinai he's receiving the 10 commandments of the Lord and they're tired of waiting and they 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 Aaron creates this golden calf i mean they're 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 they haven't even been out of Egypt long. And, they're, and they create an idol and they have this crazy party and behold the God who delivered you. That's the heart of man. It's, it's the heart of man. Well, one scholar pointed out that Judaism at its heart is what he would call an anaconic religion. A religion with any without any visual help needed. Don't create visual things because you begin to worship them. Uh, the, Judaism is, was more a religion of the ear rather than a religion of the eye. On the other hand, paganism is a religion of the eye. It's all about what you see. It's about visual stimulation. You can go into certain restaurants or places today and you can see the idols up on a shelf. That's paganism. It's idolatry. God knows that the images that we create sometimes reflect some characteristic of God and we begin to worship that particular characteristic of God and images obscure the glory of God. I mean, what image could anyone possibly create to summarize all of who God is? It's not possible. Do you remember in Numbers chapter 21, the people are, are arguing and, and, and complaining and griping uh, to Moses. And, and God sends fiery serpents in their camp. And, and these serpents, if you get bit by it, you die. And they're dying. And, and God, in his mercy, as the people cry out and say, Oh, God, we're so sorry. we didn't." We, and he says, Okay, Moses, uh, go and create this bronze serpent. Put it on a pole and lift it up and anyone who looks at it will live and and it wasn't meant to be something of worship it wasn't meant to be idolatrous i think it was a couple of things one is god says okay here's what you need to do in this case in repentance you have already said the words now look unto the bronze serpent and you will live right and 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 that's what happened and and I also believe that it was something else. I believe it was a picture or a foreshadowing of Jesus, who Jesus said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men to me. And as Jesus was lifted up on the cross and died for your sins and my sins, we look to Jesus and we believe in him. And then we have not just life here, Zoe life, but we have eternal life as well. Oh, have you have you looked up to Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Well it wasn't well it was actually a little bit after that in Second Kings chapter eighteen. Last week in our reading, I was reading this and 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 King Hezekiah was a godly king of the nation of Judah and and, and people were so messed up in their religious thinking that they began to worship the bronze serpent on the staff. Like oh mighty they start worshiping the 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 this this thing that was would meant so much, it was, if anything, it was a reminder of the grace of God. And it was a reminder of God's healing power. And they began to worship that. And Hezekiah got so angry, he crushed it. He crumbled it and said, enough of that. And we have to be careful that in Christ, our traditions or things that we think that happen to be un, uh, uh, extra biblical or our own personal preferences don't become things that we begin to worship. And place expectations on other people man-made images usually satisfy some selfish desire of man. I mean, if you're going to create your own idol, you might as well make one that's going to give you something back like prosperity or protection or sexual pleasure or help you defeat your enemy, etc. Man wants to make God into his image rather than living in the... Understanding that we are made in his image. Verse 5 says, Then the man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was a place, a central place of worship at, at Shiloh where the tabernacle was. So he sets up his own central place of worship. And he creates an ephod, which was a specific garment that the priests would wear as they, were, as they were ministering. But they were the only ones to wear it. So if you, if you look at what he's doing and you make a list of it, he's, he's copying the things that God said uh, were instruments of worship that represented the prescribed way to worship. Uh, he's, he's imitating them. Uh, he's imitating the very worship principles of the tabernacle of God. It's a shortcut. It's so much easier to have your own temple in my living room than to have to go to wherever I need to go to, synagogue, whatever it is. It's so much easier, right? Um While we were in Mexico, we saw a building, uh, the, the, and one of the things I appreciated about our trip is that Pastor Richard made sure that we got the historical background of stuff. And we'd go to some place and, and he'd talk about this, this, this wall that, that uh, Father Sierra, as he was planting missions, uh, he planted one in La Mision because it's, they, it's a, it was a one-day horse ride from San Diego. And, and there's the wall. You go, wow, that's crazy. And then there was this, this odd-shaped Luxor pyramid. <laughs> it wasn't quite that. It was it was a pyramid with a cross on top. And, and he says, well, if you look over to your right, you'll see the pyramid building. That's the place, that's a satanic church. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and it's got a cross on top? A- a- and I asked uh, 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 our pastor Gustavo, who was hosting us and he and his wife amazing people and he goes he goes I, I said pastor i go why is there a cross on the top of that satanic worship place and he goes oh well th- those people they believe in everything a- and they just take in everything whatever you believe doesn't matter you don't believe in jesus come on you're welcome here right i mean that's crazy because my guess is that in their estimation the cross is the ultimate symbol of defeat where for us, it's the ultimate symbol of victory because the cross isn't the end of the story. There's a resurrection that happens three days later. Can I get an amen to that? Just, just, sorry, sorry. don't mean to lead you into that, but sometimes I just got to have it, all right? I got to have it. Thank you, thank you. Forgive me. And, 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 then, and then he said this. He goes, yeah. He goes, nobody from this town goes to that place. I go, huh? I go, well, where do they come from? He goes, San Diego. That's what he said. Let me get it straight. So these people live in San Diego. They want a weekend in, Mexi- in, in the Baja. And they go down to La Misión to worship at the Satanic Temple. Maybe there isn't a Satanic Temple in San Diego. I don't know crazy but what is it it's an imitation it has a cross on top like if you just saw the building you might go hey that's an interesting church let's go there and then there's a phrase outside in latin because they probably didn't want to put it in spanish or english that says uh uh, through here you enter the gates of hell it's in latin pastor Richard you know he's kind of a squirrely character you gotta watch that guy Uh, you know he was telling me that he and uh another man named Luke I'll leave it at that you don't know Luke you might he was telling me that him and Luke tried to sneak in there oh I'm sorry they snuck in there and they were successful see the man for more detail on what they did in the satanic. And, you know, not, it wasn't a, hey, thrill seeker kind of a thing. It was, anyway, my point in that is that in the end times, the level of deception will be rampant. Honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because deception isn't limited to outside the church, there is rampant deception within the church. People who claim to be followers of Christ, have you ever heard someone speak and they 're right on and it sounds good, and then they say something, and hopefully there 's something within you that goes, "Wait a second, wait a second, no no, 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 that 's not right what he just said or what she just said. I disagree with that, Wait a minute that 's not correct. Listen, there are people who know how to be popular and who are preaching a false gospel. And we, as followers of Christ, had better know the difference. Or else we get sucked up and we start to follow uh, what man is saying, what is not gospel, what is not the word of God, but we begin to fall into this trap of idolatry. We must be discerning in these end times. In the end times, the revelation tells us that there is a there is a tr- a triune um, uh, 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 nature to Satan. Not, not, not exactly that, but but to me, it's like he imitates the Trinity in that there's there's the, the 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 devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's just interesting, and to me, I feel like okay, you're trying to like mimic the Trinity. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, "...for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires..." Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn to fables. That there is See, because we have a propensity to worship and because we have a propensity to idolatry, we begin to listen to people that tell us what we want to hear and it itches our ears and I want to hear more prosperity, uh, health, wealth. I want to hear more because I want that and it's not biblical. And we get sucked in by people who name the name of Christ. And we must know the difference. I don't care how popular someone is. I don't care how big their following is. not preaching the word of God, I'm not going to support that. I don't care. I don't care. You know what that means to me? Nothing. Not one thing. When are there are 10,000 people who went to go hear so and so speak, who cares? In addition to his first idol, Micah also makes household idols <laughs> because that's the way idolatry is. Usually for uh, uh, financial gain or guidance, you can go to the m- museums in Megiddo today and you can see. Actual excavations of these things that they have uncovered. He consecrates one of his own sons to be priest. He had no authority to do that. That's man-made religion, where you begin to make priests out of whoever you want to make priests out of. Micah surely knew that only the family of Aaron was authorized to be in the priesthood. Anyone outside of that, according to the Old Testament, who tried to become a priest was going to be stoned to death. This is serious business. The shrine, the beautiful ephod the attractive idols, the priesthood for his own son. It was all pretty convenient, and it was designed to serve God, and it didn't. All it did was please man. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, there was a king in Israel, but they rejected him, God. He always wanted to be their king, but they didn't want that. Because they rejected God, there was a vacuum of leadership. That's what happens. You reject God, there's a vacuum of leadership. True leadership. Humble, servant leadership. It's not existent Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Follow your heart. You know? What do you, what do you, what do you feel about that? Let your heart be your guide. I think that's a dangerous way to make decisions. Because you know what? It's very man-centered. And typically, I'm going to reduce myself to end up getting what I want. Because I believe it's right. It just feels. Just, yeah, think. Yeah, no, man. Hey, if that's what you want go for it you know what i have found out in my short walk in christ that a lot of things that i want are not what god has for me and it doesn't matter how i feel but it feels so right oh that has to be god i mean look at the circumstances and i'm not discounting circumstances but sometimes we look at circumstances and we think it's god and it's not because we're not discerning we're not doing the hard work of pressing into god i'm not willing to say god it looks good but is it you that's hard work. Cuz it feels so good. It feels right. That's very contemporary. It's very man-centered. It is at its very core humanism. Proverbs 14:12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I thank God for the grace that he has shown me in times where I was headed in a way that wasn't right. I could talk. I don't know about you. First service was with me on this. Y'all probably not. Y'all probably not. But man, I could talk myself into something that's not God in a heartbeat. I could talk. I'll talk myself into it. Oh no, man. You know this, that, and the other. And <sighs> you've probably never done that. where, where you've, you've started to walk into something that felt right or something that was right in your own eyes, but deep, deep down inside you knew it wasn't. That's why we need fellowship. We need someone to, I need someone to know my stuff. So when I go, yeah, man, I'm going to do this, they go, wait, wait, time out, time out, you going to do what? Wait, 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 didn't, wait, hold on, man, hold on, hold on. But didn't God already tell you this? Yeah. Well, then why are you doing that? Wait, 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 wait. Didn't God already tell you that wasn't a girl for you? Yeah. What are you doing, man? What is your problem? Oh, I need people like that in my life. How about you? I need someone to say, man, stop tripping, bro. This is not God. We all need that a humbling thing to have someone like that in your life. You see them coming, you go the other way. But they're discerning, so they go, hey, what's up, man? You trying to duck me? What? Why, why you want to talk to me, man? You with that girl, huh? What? What you mean, man? See, you always judging me, bro. You don't even know me. And it's like, oh, no, I do know you. That's why I'm asking hard questions. <laughs> Stop tripping, yo. Ah. <sighs> Verse 7 says, Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. He came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. As a Levite, he had a city that he was supposed to be in. They were designated Levitical cities. That That was the place God had established For ministry and then there was the center place where the the tabernacle at shiloh that was the the center of everything bethlehem of judah was not one of the cities that was designated or assigned to the levitical priesthood instead he wanted to do what was right in his own eyes so he's sort of an itinerant preacher He's going around looking for a place. And lo and behold, he happens to find Micah. And it turns out that Micah just happens to be looking for a Levite. This must be God. Oh, but it's not. Verse 9, so he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I'm on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. You got my own personal priest. And I will give you Ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. Oh, oh, what a great story. He just so happens to end up at Micah's house, who happens to be looking for a personal priest. And by the way, he's going to give him ten shekels and a shirt. (laughs) Room, food, and beverage. And all I got to do is minister somehow, be a priest. It's a heck of a deal. Or is it? Instead of seeking out God's will, this Levite set out to find a place to live and work, even if it meant abandoning his calling. Uh, Perhaps... Uh, he could have done something to change the spiritual condition of Israel. We've seen over and over again how, how God has used one person that, that, that stands up and, and, and is willing to lead a charge. We've seen an army that is incapacitated and cannot move. And God raises up a Jephthah and he says, you know what, let's go. And they go. We've seen that over and over again. But, but this priest, he's not, this, he, he's not thinking in those those terms and no wonder Israel is such in a spiritual funk because this is where they're supposed to be in line with God. And even the priesthood is way over here. The Levites were assigned to the priests in the work of the ministry. They taught people the law of God. They were involved in the sacred worship and the praises of Israel. And that's not there. And he gives that up for the comfort and security of living with an idolater. Oh, how often we give up the best for what's suitable. How often we give up and settle for something that's comfortable and it'll do. It's not what God has. Because so often God requires us to wait. So often God has something so much better for us beyond what we could ask or think. And we just settle because it's comfortable. And sometimes we rather have what's in front of us than wait for the unseen that God has for us. Ah. He's a hireling. He's in it for the money, as we'll see. Let's wrap up verse 12. So Micah consecrated the Levite. He had no authority to do that. That consecration means nothing. It means nothing. The Levite and the young man became his priest. That means nothing. He's not a priest. He's not. And he lived in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levitist priest. Those are empty words. Micah will find out that ultimately he'll lose everything. He'll lose his priest and his idols. And who knows, maybe even the silver that he stole from his mama. It's sad, but Micah thinks he has the favor of the Lord simply because he has a Levite as his chaplain. A little bit of false gods, a little bit of false religion, a little bit of Jehovah God. We're going to mix it all together and call it worship. And it's not. Micah and his mother may have sincerely desired to worship God. They may have. But in the end, they end up doing it their own way, their own prescribed way. Sincerity and good intentions are not enough to serve God. There are people who are part of religious cults that are imitations of Christianity that are incredibly sincere. And they're busy, and they're active, And they are sincere. And they are sincerely wrong. Just because someone is passionate or sincere doesn't mean that they're operating in a godly capacity. We cannot approach God any way we want to. I, I, oh, I I had the, it's not a privilege. I had the honor of doing a funeral here yesterday. It's not a fun thing. I don't like doing them. I'd rather do marriage counseling and do weddings. I love marriage counseling. It's one of the favorite things I get to do because I get to help reinforce what God is already saying. I tell people when they come to me for marriage counseling, my goal is to break you up. And not because I'm the judge, but because you got to be able to—you got to you gotta be able to answer some tough questions. You have to, and it'll just reinforce what God's already saying to your heart, or it'll—it'll cr- it'll create some significant questions. This funeral was attended by some people who, shall we say, like many, like like all of us, had a little bit of a shady past. Many of them had spent, uh, had spent time vacationing on the state's dime, state-sponsored vacation, Indian Springs, you know, places like that. (laughs) Yeah, man, I've been on vacation for five years. I got you. I got you, bro. It was the type of crowd where I said, we're going to pass the microphone now. Please keep it PG. And everyone chuckled. And I said, because I would say keep it G, but I don't want y'all to get the wrong context. Well, bro, you said keep it G anyway. Oh, my gosh, cut him off. No, no, no. I mean, be respectful. There are children in the audience. <laughs> but, but I got a chance to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is the good news. This is, God has a prescribed way. And, and the prescribed way is to believe in Jesus Christ, to recognize Him for who He is, for your eyes to be open to you, to how wretched you are and your sinful heart. It doesn't matter how much time you spent in prison or how much you've, whether you stole from the office a little bit or whether you stole from a bank. It doesn't matter. It's all sin. And then we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, is that death isn't the end and that Jesus Christ came because He loves you and He can set you free from whatever. and he will forgive you for all of your sins no matter how grievous they are no matter how much time you spent locked up for your sins he forgives you of all of them if you will come to him and you will acknowledge him oh i got a chance to say there's a prescribed way to get to heaven and it's not just about getting to heaven but it's about jesus who said he was the way and the truth and the life and it actually means he's way he's truth He's life that many men and women claim to speak truth. Jesus didn't claim just to speak truth. He claimed to be the embodiment of truth. He says, I am truth. If you want truth? You look to me. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And it was so quiet in here. you could, A pin would have went boom. And I knew that God was speaking. I've done some weddings, guys, where I, I look back and I think, you know probably shouldn't have said that, or, you know, not you guys' wedding, not you guys, I don't know, who else, You, you yes, no, not your wedding, you, you guys' weddings were all awesome. <laughs> I've done some weddings, though, where I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, but I've never done a bad funeral, and what I mean by that is that you have a captive audience, because everyone's asking questions in their heart and it's one of the rare opportunities where people are vulnerable and open to hear the truth we can't approach god any old way we want to ah yeah basically i'm a good person that's going to be good enough really what's your basis for believing that Oh, you know what? If there's a heaven, I'm sure I'll get there. Really? How do you know you'll get there? I don't know. I just think I will. Is that okay? You pretty sure? How sure? I don't know. Well, you know, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. You believe whatever you want. Oh, I see. So when you go to get a suit or when you go to get clothes and they say, what size do you wear? Do you say, doesn't matter. Any old size will do. I'll make it work. Okay. <laughs> That's different. No. All of life has exclusive things. All of life has boundaries. Why wouldn't God? Why wouldn't God only have one way? So I had this conversation with this man. It might have been 30 years ago. I don't remember. I'm getting old. You know when you're getting old, you forget how long conversation. You know eh, when was that conversation? I don't even have a context. I can't even, I'd have to spend an hour trying to figure out when that was. because That's how old I am. Back in the day, Back in the day sister. <laughs> Back in the day. And I said to this man, so Nazi Germany, is what they did right or wrong? And he said, oh, that was, that was absolutely wrong. Wait a second. I said, wait a second. You just told me the truth is whatever you make it, And whatever's true for you is true for you and that you can't judge someone else's truth. Now those people in that time, at that place, in that country, they believed that what they were doing was true and right. How do you judge them based on your belief system and say that they're wrong? I did not know that the students had made their way back and there was not a crowd of people, but people were all kind of like listening. And I looked and went, whoa. And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, then I can't say what they did was wrong. I, I was stunned. That is how humanism collapses on itself. Everybody wants to believe this ideal belief system until it affects them. My guess is he didn't have any great-great-grandmother or grandfather who died in the Holocaust because he might think differently about that if he had. And I said, there is the fallacy of your belief system. Uh, ideas have consequences. You can't say that the killing of some six, seven million Jews simply because of their ethnicity, nor the millions of people who died in a world war, you can't say that's wrong. And he said, no, peace out. I'm gone. I'm gone. I, I, And may God open that young man's eyes. He's not a young man anymore. He's probably 50. To the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. I leave you with this. Truth is not a worldview. It's not simply a belief system. It's not simply going to church. It's not... A set of traditions. It's not knowledge. Truth is Jesus Christ. Our truth is based in a person. The the sovereign God of the universe, the Son of God, who never sinned in word or thought or deed. You know what? We don't have to defend the integrity of Jesus, but we have to fight for truth. And we have to be able to engage people intellectually and make them think about their ideas and the consequences of their ideas. That's what we need to do. And we need to be educated and trained up and stand for truth And speak the truth in love. If you don't speak in love, do us all a favor. Don't speak. But love people enough to earn the right to tell them the truth. And then we leave it up between them and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who loves them, so much so that he died for them. And you and me. I encourage you to read Paris Reedhead's sermon, Google it, or duck duck go it. Whatever you use. Paris Readhead. Ten shekels and a shirt. Preached in nineteen mid-1960s. It is powerful. Based on this sermon. Ten shekels and a shirt. Paris Readhead. Read it. It's powerful. And Father, we thank you that That the basis, the foundation of all life is in Jesus Christ. That all truth is your truth and Jesus is the truth. Father, would you encourage, would you strengthen us? to sell out on what you have said is true may we cling to it may we grow in it may we may we tell others the good news those who 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 just be, don't believe in these things lord first of all we need to pray And second of all, you need to do that work that, well, first of all, you need to do the work that only you can do. And if you would use us, oh God, to reach someone and to engage them, oh God, would you do that? I pray, Lord, for anyone here who has not settled, not settled in their heart that Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler of the universe, that he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and he is the one whom which everyone must go through. It is true that all roads lead to God, but not everybody gets to stay with God. Lord, I pray for anyone here who, does, who has not settled that. Lord, you work in their hearts. God, you draw them to you. Because there's no salvation, but the Spirit of God draws us in. And Lord, for your church, would you draw us in even closer, God? May we, may we make it our life's mission to know you. And as necessary, share the good news. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that it accomplishes what it's designed to. Now, Lord, may may we submit to your word and to your will in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.